0: sorry for that let me back up a little bit because I, I want to make sure before whatever I guess I pushed something while I was recording here but Jesus will be the only one victorious when it's all said and done between the battle between Satan and Christ so I ask you the question when persecution comes are you ready maybe you're sitting there thinking how can I be ready the only way you can be really ready is is to have a rock-solid foundation under you. And who is that rock-solid foundation? Our protector, Jesus Christ. That's how we overcome. That's how we make it through persecution. I close with what God tells us about persecution. A couple of verses I want to share with you real quick here. The words that I want you to take to heart. The first one you find in the 8th chapter of Romans. If you will, flip to Romans the 8th chapter real quick. Verses 35 through 37. Romans 8, 35 through 37. Are you all there? Amen? Romans eight thirty-five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Who is Him? Christ Jesus. So, what this this passage reaffirms for us, is is God's profound love for each one of us. No no matter what happens to us, no matter where we are, we can never be separated from his love. We saw that right there in verse 35. So, when suffering comes, and it will, when suffering comes, that should not drive us away from God but it should help us identify with him and also allow his love to heal us one more verse and I'm going to quit. 2 Corinthians 12:10 2 Corinthians 12:10 y'all there Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. In other words, when those obstacles come, when the suffering persecution comes, we're going to depend on God. Why? Why? Because only His power will make us effective for Him and will help us do the work that has lasting value. I'm going to ask you again are you ready? Are you ready? You think things are bad now. You just sit back and wait a while, folks. You just sit back and wait a while. And you better be getting yourself put together. And you better be getting screwed down and ready to ride. Because it's going to come. How do I know it's going to come? Because Jesus said it was going to come. And if Jesus said it, I believe it. And that should settle it. So have that foundation under you. And be ready for when it comes. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank You again for this day You've blessed us with and the opportunity to be in Your house. Father, I just thank You for loving us. I thank You for the gift of forgiveness when we stumble and fall and fail. Father, I just pray that You'll lift us up and help us overcome our sin. Help us to know that we've done something wrong and help us to ask You for forgiveness. Repent. Get over it and get past it. And do better next time. Father, I thank You for this church. I thank You for this church family. I certainly lift up the folks that are not with us today. We're pretty short in number. We just pray they're safe, they're okay, some of them sick. And we just pray for healing in those situations. Father, we lift up all the folks we have on our prayer list. Lots of needs, lots of different situations, Father. And we just ask You to move in a special way that only You can Father, certainly we ask that you bless us with some rain that we desperately need. We thank you for what fell this past week in places, other places still lacking, Father. So just bless us that away. Father, we just ask your guidance and direction as we leave this place. Just continue to protect us in these very challenging times that we live. It's in your Son's name we pray, and we'll be careful always to praise your holy name. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, turn to the 15th chapter of John. The 15th chapter of John. Now as you turn there, let me say a few things before we read in in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. As we live our Christian life, there, there are a lot of questions that are related to a Christian life that are really not that important. They, they are just uh, really don't fall into that life and death category. Uh, questions like, what is your favorite translation of the Bible, for instance? Or, how can I be a better church member? Or the big all-important question is if if a church has a meal after the service, is it called dinner, potluck, or fellowship? All all of those questions are just not really that important. But other questions that we have that pertain to our walk in Christ carry a lot of weight. Questions like, Am I prepared to suffer well? Am I prepared to suffer well? Or another question that I would like to ask is, Am I ready to be hated for the sake of Jesus? Now, suffering may not be a common topic of conversation in our, love, in our lives. But let me tell you this. Suffering for the sake of Jesus, being persecuted because we follow Him, is something Jesus told us to expect. He said, get ready for it. So today we're going to be using not only the 15th chapter of John, but the 16th chapter of John as well. And, and you remember, this is right after, you remember last Sunday, Jesus commanded us to love one another. And that's not the first time we've seen that in, in this little study that we've been doing in John. But right after he commanded us to love one another, he warned us to prepare to suffer along with other believers. Now, Jesus wanted, wanted us, wanted to help us understand that living connected to him, and we've been, you've been hearing me use that phrase a lot, Living connected to Jesus means that we will be mistreated the same as He was. And we're fixing to find that out from the Bible. But here's the thing. We can endure however we are mistreated, however we suffer, because uh, you know these hard times, we, we can get through these hard times because Jesus is with us. And not only is He with us, He's definitely worth us. Now, periodically, from time to time, I faintly hear people uh, say something along the lines that they feel like they're being persecuted. And, and when I hear that, I, I almost smile an inner smile. And, and that's because I wonder if we really know what persecution is. You know, I start thinking to myself, and I think about some foreign countries that does not respect Christianity in any way. Does not respect Christianity in any shape, form, or fashion. You know, they're not followers of Christ as a whole, and those that do follow Christ are treated like second-class citizens. Their churches are burned. Uh, They are made fun of on a daily basis. They are never offered any kind of help from uh, uh, other non-Christian world. The the only employment that they can get is something like uh, sweeping the streets or working in the sewer plant or some other strictly labor-intensive jobs. So that is persecution. So we ought to be thankful that we don't suffer persecution such as that. Now I'm going to talk more about that as we go through this uh, sermon today. And I'm going to give you some statistics uh, about, about people being persecuted and what extent that entails. Now, this particular scripture that we're going to look at today is not a real easy scripture for us to look at. It, it carries a certain degree of difficulty. And the reason I say it's difficult, because it's it, 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 not is it just difficult, but it's also very logical. It's very practical. It's very beautiful. But it's difficult because when we read this chapter, we're going to see that the world hates the followers of Jesus. And, and that's very upsetting to us. That's very unsettling to us. And that's even scary for those of us who follow Christ, that we're going to suffer persecution the same as He did. But yet it's beautiful because He reminds us that that we have been loved by our Savior and we have been called out of a world of death into a world of life. So, you know, Jesus declares, and we're going to read this, He has chosen us out of this very sin-filled, hostile, fallen world. So let's look together in the 15th chapter of, of John, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. John 15, verse 18. Are y'all there? Amen? Now, in my Bible, this is all in red. You remember when we first started this little, little series in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus was talking to his 12 handpicked dudes about. Uh, you know, he was having the last supper with them because he was fixing to be crucified and he was giving them a whole bunch of instruction. And, and up from, from where we started, like in the 13th chapter up to now, Jesus is still giving instructions. He hasn't been crucified yet, and that's the reason what, what, why it's in red. This is some more of Jesus' instruction. All right, verse 18. If the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Let me visit with you today about being persecuted. Being persecuted. Now, As I told you in setting up this sermon a little bit, I told you that Jesus' words are very logical. People who have been brought into the kingdom of God still have to live in this old world. You know, it doesn't matter how hard we try, we still have to face on a daily basis all the nonsense that's going on in this old world. So, if we are really truly living the Christian life, We're going to stand out. We're going to seem weird. We're going to seem wrong. We're going to seem out of place to people of this world. And the reason I say that is this. Our hearts are different. Our minds are different. Our values are different. Our priorities are different. And so all of these things are foreign to those who are not following Jesus. In other words, they just don't understand why we do the things we do. They don't understand why we see the importance of coming to church on a regular basis and worshiping our Lord and Savior. It is because that's what we're called to do. That's because we want to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and spend time praising and worshiping our Lord and Savior. So we're still here. We still stick out like a sore thumb. We're still standing out Because what we choose not to live like the world lives. Now, what we believe and what the world believes does not correlate. It does not line up. Our belief, our trust in the resurrected Jesus supports everything in our lives. Folks, let me tell you this. If Jesus didn't die on that cross and wasn't laid in that grave, and didn't rise out of that grave to return and be resurrected to his heavenly Father, we're wasting our time. Because that's the whole foundation of the life we live. That is the whole foundation of of the Christian life. So, you know, we live with this longing... To return to Christ, just like Jesus returned to His heavenly Father, and at times we are we seem so moved by that 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 you know Jesus gave us that hope to fight against all of our uh, uh, natural human sinful nature, and and we fight against it in order to be more like Him. We don't want to be like everybody else. We want to be like Jesus and when we're like him we, we are not like so many others in the world and that makes us aliens that makes us foreigners that makes us strangers we are hostile in other words we are not of the world and that's what Jesus just told us in verse 19 but if you look in verse 20 Jesus says that we are not servants of our master Jesus You know, so far in the past several weeks in this little study we've been doing, we see that Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to love. He wants us to obey His commands as we live a life connected to Him. But His ways are not the ways of the unbelieving world. Thus, there's the problem. There is the, the conflict right there. He, his ways, you know, seem strange to the rest of the world. Christianity is supposed to be strange to the world around us. Following Jesus is supposed to look different. And so what comes out of that? Conflict. It is just inevitable. Conflict, the right, even hatred is a result that is inevitable because there comes a point in time when the world around us simply says I've had enough of this Jesus stuff. I don't want any more of this Jesus stuff. That's because the kingdom of heaven thinking is too foreign to them. It is too offensive to the to the culture of this world. So, followers of Jesus are persecuted just as Jesus was persecuted Jesus said what if they persecuted me they will persecute you so we should be expecting it we stand up what did we just sing stand up stand up for Jesus we stand up for Jesus and live like us live like he did so what's going to happen persecution is going to come Now, if you're sitting there and you say, well, I don't ever suffer. I don't ever have any persecution. You need to get hooked up with the Lord. You need to get hooked up and start living the Christian life. Because I'll guarantee you, if you're living the Christian life, people are going to make fun of you. People are going to call you names. People are going to tell you to just go... I I told this story. i got to tell it again. I don't know if I've ever told y'all this story or not. You know, before I was ordained, I had a lot of people hung out with, friends such as that, and they were kind of worldly. And after I was ordained into the minister and become a pastor, I still was around those same people, but it was like I had the plague. It's like they couldn't get rid of me fast enough. And now don't, don't, don't think that I'm sitting here telling you I was suffering or I was persecuted. That's not what I'm saying. They weren't doing that they were just simply really were uncomfortable around this preacher guy now they they didn't want to be around him still like me still friends still do whatever but it's just different you can tell it's just different so you know we we will be called names we will have doors slammed in our face And we think that is terrible. Well, all you need to do is get on Google and do a little cultural research around the world and and look at at everything that is against Christianity and see the real persecution. Yes, people still, to this very day, give their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. And, And persecution still happens. And my question to you today is, would you do the same? If it got to that point, would you give your life for the sake of Christ? Now, I read verse 18. And when I read verse 18, it, it reminds me of something my dad used to say. Jesus said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I can just see my old dad standing there with his big old wad or red man chewing the backer gnawing on it like an old cow chewing her cud and he'd regurgitate a little bit and he'd say boy you ain't the lone ranger. In other words you ain't the first one that's been through that. You're not the first one that's been there and done that. And that's kind of what we see Jesus saying here in verse 18. He said, if they persecute you, understand, they persecuted me first. They hated me first. Look in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak. That word cloak is excuse for Their sin. Now understand that Jesus wasn't saying He brought sin upon those who heard Him. That's not what He's saying. What He brought was a full, true picture. He brought a a, a picture and a revelation of the truth and the opportunity to accept Him as Lord and Savior. If only people could see that Jesus is still doing that today. But before Jesus came, people could say, I didn't even know that was a sin. But after Jesus came, Jesus could say, You may not have known it was a sin before, but you do know now, and God knows that you know. Now, let's bring all of this that we've talked about so far Let's bring all of this up to today. To our time. Jesus is still the Son of God, yet some people reject that truth. I'll bet you that if I nailed y'all down and I said I'm not going to let you leave until you tell me the same the name of some person that you know that has rejected Christ, I bet every one of y'all could come up with a name. Every one of them. Now, some people might say they didn't have the opportunity to hear the gospel. But even those without a gospel witness have the general revelation of nature to point them to God. Just look at some of the sunrises we have. Some of the sunsets we have. The beauty that we have all around us. Without a doubt, you have to admit that there is a supreme being of some kind that created it all. Some people want to say, well, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. All right, that's well and fine. Who made the Big Bang? There had to be a supreme being somewhere that that caused what happened to happen. So what we see Jesus talking about here in this 15th chapter is he's talking about those who clearly have no excuse because... Now, now understand this in the context it is in the Bible. Think about Jesus saying this. And think about Jesus' ministry when he was on the face of the earth, you know, doing what he did. These people saw Jesus, they heard Jesus Christ was the Son of God the Jewish people witnessed the best thing that could ever happen to them and that was Jesus himself. They saw Jesus serve. They saw Jesus teach brilliantly and passionately. They saw him heal freely and lovingly. They saw Him usher in the new kingdom of repentance that leads to life, showing people that He was their answer to their deepest need. He's still doing that today, by the way. But people saw all that, and what did they do? They still opposed Him violently. For many, the truth was right there, right before their very eyes. It was revealed to them but yet they hatefully rejected. You remember when when Pilate brought Jesus out with the other dude, and he said, "You pick which one." They picked Jesus, and they said, "Crucify, him. crucify him." You see, the truth was standing right before him, and what did they do? They vehemently hated him. Isn't it the same today? Yes, it is. Look in verse twenty-three. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they, but, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Now... Isn't that the way it is today? Isn't that the way it is today? People hate Jesus for absolutely no reason. And they don't even know why. And that's the sad thing. How many times have you heard someone say, and maybe you don't, haven't heard, heard someone say, but how many times have you heard someone say, I'm an atheist? Now, maybe you haven't heard that word. But I bet you you have heard this. Well, now, Curtis, don't be telling me about that Jesus guy. I know how things work. You're born. You grow up. You learn to do something. You go to work. You work. You make money. You pay your bills. Buy a house. Buy cars. Buy all this stuff. Put a whole bunch of money in the bank. Invest it. It makes more money. Then one day you retire when you get old enough. You live off of that money and get to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. And then you die. And they plant you in the ground. And that's all there is to it. They have no acceptance of Jesus whatsoever. They don't believe in Jesus. Now... Maybe they don't say, or maybe you haven't heard someone say, I'm an atheist, but I bet you you've heard someone say what I just told you. That that's the way they think it works. But people say they hate Jesus. They say they don't believe in Jesus. Because they have never met Him. And they really don't want to. So I want you to listen to this story. This is a true story this is a story about a lady that was going to a church and she had been attending church there for a while and one sunday evening her and some of her church fellow members went to a restaurant and was having dinner together and somebody asked her why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became a christian Well, so that was an opportunity for her to share her story. And this lady shared how her eyes had been opened to who Jesus was. This lady was a Muslim from a Middle East country. But the Holy Spirit had got a hold to her and convicted her of her need for the acceptance of Jesus Christ. So she became clearly convinced that she needed Jesus in her life and so she was willing to take a chance and make this huge cultural break from 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 where she lived and accept Christ and become a Christian. And she was so excited when that happened she thought, well, I'm gonna tell mom and dad about it. She thought this was the opportunity. I've accepted Christ. Maybe they will accept Christ. So she started sharing her story with her mom and dad. And her dad told her, I want you to get out of this house. And she left. And she hadn't seen them for several years. Periodically, she would call her mom just to check on her mom, check on her dad. And her mom would tell her, whatever happens, no matter what happens, You don't come home because your father wants you dead. Now that breaks our heart to hear a story like that. But folks, that is the reality of the world for which we live. This this is the reality of two worlds. It is the reality of two kingdoms coming into conflict. The world continues to reject Jesus despite the truth that He has revealed to us. The truth is right here in His Holy Word. Anybody and everybody could pick up a copy of it and read something. They might learn something if they would just open their mind a little bit. Now, you see, the truth was there for her mom and dad. The truth was there She found and embraced the truth in Jesus. She shared that same truth with her family, but they so thoroughly rejected her. Not only did they kick her out, but they wanted and even threatened to kill her. And, and, you know, we just don't like hearing things like that, but that is the stark reality of what we're, we're seeing in God's Word today. Go down now to chapter 16. Go to chapter 16, verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. That word offended there means made to stumble. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's servants. Now... Do y'all think that's a reality today? I want you to think about that. Do you think that's a reality today? Those who hate Jesus hate his followers, and they don't just express that through emotion. They express that through their their the way they act. I want you to understand something. This is Jesus talking to his twelve handpicked dudes. Now, right off the bat, we remember in our first study that Jesus said, one of y'all is going to betray me. We all know that that was Judas. And Judas did what? Judas went out and he hung himself. He committed suicide. Ten more, ten more of Jesus' hand-picked dudes died because they were followers of Christ. The other one, was John, who were are studying, who wrote the book of John. You go on in the Bible, 1 John, Second John, 3 John, and then Revelation. You see, God wasn't through with him yet. But the other ten, Judas committed suicide, the other ten gave their lives because they were followers of Jesus. And if you haven't studied that, you need to study that because some of them died in pretty harsh fashion. But every one of them did. And and here's the thing. They weren't the only the only ones. The early church experienced a lot of persecution. It, it, it experienced a lot of martyrdom. Now I want you to understand, for over 2,000 years now, men and women have been giving their lives in the name of Jesus. And they have died because they were following Jesus. Even today, people pay the ultimate price for their faith in Christ. I want to give you some statistics now. This is the most recent report from uh, Open Doors USA. Open Doors USA is an organization that stands against persecution and in its report it indicates that 260 million Christians suffered highly to severe levels of persecution and that was in 2020. 260 million. That suffering included this. Eight Christians were killed every day. 182 churches or church buildings were attacked every week. 309 Christians were jailed every month. Those numbers that I just give you Reflect only the top 50 nations where Christians suffer the most. Estimates are that an additional 50 million could be added if we included other nations where persecution occurs. If my math is right, that is 310 million people that have suffered severe or high level of Persecution. We shouldn't be shocked by those numbers because Jesus has already prepared us for it, folks. He says it right there in His Word. How many years ago did John sit down, take pen in hand, and write this book? A lot. So look what Jesus said in verse 2 of chapter 16. He says that they may be banned from synagogues and even face times when someone wants to kill them for offering service to God. I kind of like what he says in verse 1 because I, I like the encouragement. Jesus said, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Jesus knows that none of this will catch him by surprise. Why? Because he is still God and he is still in control. If you don't get anything else, get that and don't forget it. Look in verse 3. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them and these things I said not unto you at the beginnings because I was with you. What Jesus is telling us here is this, that we can face persecution knowing, knowing that the battle has already been One, And we need to take encouragement from that. We need to take comfort from that. You see, yes, persecution is scary. When we think about it, it's terrifying. But here's the thing. It can't impact the outcome. It can't. As Christians, Jesus gave us this warning. He said to keep you from stumbling, not because... Uh, or or because I was with you. He, he, He said that to keep us from stumbling, not to keep us from losing. So, with these words, Jesus, in a sense, was saying this. He was reporting to us that He has already won the war. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen as His people are persecuted just like he was persecuted and he knows that his people will be victorious forever in him." So we don't have to anticipate persecution like we do some tough deals where we cross our fingers behind our backs. What we do when it comes to persecution is stand there with our hands folded in front of us knowing with a certain degree that the battle has already been won. You see it works like this folks. The cross isn't coming. It's already happened. Jesus has already died on that cross. He's already been laid in that borrowed tomb with that big boulder in front of it. And he came up out of that tomb. Three days later, he says, you tear this temple down and I will raise it again in three days. And when Satan saw him hanging on that cross, he thought, "Woohoo! I got him. I win, especially when they saw him in that tomb. But then Jesus came out of that tomb and guess what? Satan lost right there. Just like that. That's the reason why I say you don't have to worry. Because the battle has already been won. There's no battle left to win. Jesus spoke matter-of-factly about this. He spoke matter-of-factly about hatred that will certainly come to us. But we can rest confidentially in him, why? Because he's already won the battle. Matthew Henry had a quote, and I'll close with this. Matthew Henry wrote this. There were, there were a world of people that opposed Christ and Christianity. I fear if we should put it to a vote between Christ and Satan, Satan would outpoll us. Satan would win the vote. When I hear that that quote, I just kind of have to chuckle a little bit. Because there is no vote. There is no arm wrestling match. There is no cage match. There is no sprint to the finish line that will uh, uh, you know, that will decide the 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 outcome of the conflict between Jesus and Satan you know Satan has been you remember Satan you know what was Satan he's a fallen angel God took his size whatever shoe he had and booted his behind right out of heaven and ever since then he's been stirring up trouble he's still stirring up trouble today doing as much damage as he possibly can but when it's all said and done who's going to be left standing Jesus Jesus There's only going to be one sovereign creator when it's all said and done. So my question to you...